Welcome to the December 2023 episode of our Bridging the Gaps podcast series, produced by FASTA, the Foundation for the Economics of Sustainability, and the European Health Futures Forum, the EHFF. I'm Caroline White. In this month's podcast, my colleague Sean O'Conline spoke with Toby Le Chittenden, who is the network co-lead at the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, or We All. We All is a global network of individuals and organisations that are working to transform the economic system so that it serves people and planet rather than the other way around. We had the privilege of meeting Tobile and the other We All Global AMP team members in Dublin in mid-December, and we'll be hearing more about that during the interview. For now, I'll hand over to Sean. In this podcast, I'm speaking to Tobile Chittenden, who's the network co-lead with the Wellbeing Economy Alliance amplification team and we'll be hearing more about about that later in the podcast so good morning toby Le, uh, hello and, and thank you thank very you much for so- thank you very much for agreeing to do our podcast such a pleasure thank you so much for having me and and hello to everybody that's listening great so maybe we'll start by if you could just introduce yourself you have from a, an Irish perspective anyway, uh, uh, an interesting <laughs> background. So you might just tell us your own your own journey, how you've come to be involved in well-being and uh, what in fact you're starting to do or how long have you been in the job you're in at the moment? Sure. So it is a bit of a journey because I think every kind of thing that's happened has kind of shaped my trajectory and I owe it to the people and the influences um, that have been in my life. So really from a very young age in South Africa in 1989, I was born and it was just at the end, at the tail end of apartheid in South Africa, the racial segregation that was strategically implemented by the national government at the time. And It was a really rough time because the government um, was instigating, realizing that there was black power kind of growing. They were instigating black on black violence between these two political parties, specifically the IFP, um, predominantly Zulu party, um, which is a tribe in South Africa of which I'm part of, and the ANC, who are the national government of today. But at the time, it was neck on neck, I guess, in terms of power between the IFP and the ANC. And at that time, just real conflict was happening, specifically in KZN, KwaZulu-Natal, where I was born, between the IFP and the ANC, burning of villages, killing of each other, just real tribal wars, I guess, in terms of this fight for power um, that was to come. And my father's village was part of that, and my family was, yeah, was lost due to that. But Specifically, my father just picked me up as an eight-month-old baby and took my mother to his place of employment. He was a window washer at a gym at that time, and he asked that family who owned the gym to take us in. And since then, I've just been aware of what it means to be an activist, I guess, because that family really took a chance. It was very courageous of them to take a Black family in, especially at those times where it was illegal. Um, And so for them to do that for us took a lot of courage and 
um, heart and care. And I just felt seen and I just felt that our family was protected by people that didn't have to. And I think that kind of formed my sense of awareness for justice, for the seeking of equality, especially, you know, seeing the racial imbalance as I was growing up, seeing how white families lived and how black families had to survive in this very unjust, well, unjust world. And I think that kind of shaped my narrative of actually, I want to be part of this. I want to be a bridge builder. I want to help people see, really see one another past racial lines um, and obviously other stereotypes that I began to see in the world. And I ventured, well, basically that family being at the back of a gym, you know, I was in a very theatrical space. The gym in the 80s was very fun and the music and the dancing and the leg warmers, that was kind of the era I was raised in. And I was immersed in dancing and a very theatrical family and just used to just be passionate about creativity and, and seeing how that kind of lowered down the walls that people built around themselves, you know, um, so loved dancing throughout my life. And that was specifically because this family kind of had a dance club. Um, and so as I was trying to think about my career, I, I just knew it had to be something creative and something that I thought could make a difference. And eventually, you know, in high school, didn't really have much career guidance, but just thought maybe marketing, because <laughs> marketing is creative. You can be like really, yeah, like thinking out of the box is welcomed and all of that. But also at the same time, I realized specifically even during dancing that brands had such influence and power in the world and how people reacted to brands. I was just in awe of how people like had such feelings, strong emotions for the brands that they were experiencing. And so because of that power and influence, I thought actually this could be used in such an incredible way to change the world. And especially in South Africa, that we could use the, the influence that brands had to really create an equal and just world. Maybe very naively went into marketing and advertising um, and loved it. I must say, I really enjoyed it. The people, the, the creativity, the strategic thinking, the money that was spent to understand the target audience, like millions were spent to really understand the human, which I thought was so insightful. You, we really got to understand our customers. We really took the time and effort through immersions and focus groups and conversations to understand others. And I think this is something I really still want to bring in my work today is that how do we really see one another? How do we resonate on a deeper level in order for our, you know, work to, to resonate and for people to understand like climate change or economic systems change? And so that's something I still carry with me. But I must say that as much as I enjoyed aspects of advertising and marketing, I quickly began to see through my 10, well, actually 12-year career that as much as I was trying to, to make a meaningful difference 
in people's lives, most corporates, most brands were just doing this as kind of a tick box exercise to be seen as a good corporate citizen, but actually at the heart of who these brands were, they were still very extractive, profit-driven to the extent that actually there was no care, real genuine care for people or planet. And that, I think, was the thing that frustrated me about this industry is as much as the marketing or the advertising was beautiful and creative and could make an impact, actually the the who of the brand was very distorted. And I felt that I was part of this kind of false narrative of showcasing a certain brand in a way that didn't actually reflect who they truly were. And yeah, I just realized that I was probably very naive and trying as much as I could. I mean, I started the full good department in my employment. I really focused on the CSI work, the corporate social investment work, but all of it just felt very much at the periphery and it wasn't changing the hearts of these organizations. And I had to leave. And that's kind of how my journey towards the well-being economy started. I really left and started exploring how businesses could change at the heart level and studied social entrepreneurship at a business school in South Africa and then came across a community called Makers Valley. And at the time it was still forming, but someone, um, that someone is Dr. Simon Suzu Mason now, but at the time he wasn't a doctor, he was doing his doctorate in um, spatial justice and a well-being economy. So going back to kind of my beginnings and seeing this community that had a racially segregated past, but at the end of apartheid, this community kind of became such a, just a mix of cultures because the, the wealthy white people left that community and it just became, yeah, it it took its own path and it's become really diverse in terms of culture from all over Africa. It really feels Pan-African. And um, 60% of that community is non-South African. A lot of youth, a lot of religions, cultures, all in the heart of this little community. Um, and as I started engaging there, I really realized that this is what I want to do. And the work that Dr. Simon Caesar Mason was doing on this with this lens of a well-being economy, that for me just was my light bulb moment. And I, I just knew I had to get involved in what was happening there. So yeah, that's my <laughs> journey. A bit long, but hope it gives you the sense of yeah, how I come to to be doing what I'm doing now. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Tobile. Maybe you might just shine a light a little bit on the link between the global work, because your current uh, role is a network co-lead on the global team with the local work that you're doing in Africa and South Africa in particular. And how do you Mm -hmm. balance that or how do they work together? Mm. Yeah, so... 
I started obviously in this local community and looking at a local level, how can we work towards a well-being economy? And social enterprise became a big part of that. But, you know, there's been amazing things been happening in this community from urban gardening projects to recycling swap shops to community currencies, but all of this feeling very um, grassroots, but also making sense for our community. And this co-created approach has been really important um, because people have that sense of participation. They feel that they are part of the solutions being carried through in their communities. And so it's been really incredible. And then Makers Valley, as I was leading the organization, I signed up Makers Valley as a member of the Wellbeing Economy Alliance. And that's kind of how my journey within We All Started was around 2020. And in 2022, they had this opportunity for a network co-lead. And obviously, um, seeing that opportunity, I realized I would love to be part of this because a lot of the things that I was doing at a community level there was still this sense of frustration that actually there are bigger systems at play here and that I can only do so much in this community, but we are still connected to the bigger bigger ecosystems of the economy in our country, of governments, of policymakers, et cetera. And that's what kind of opened the door for me at We All was thinking, actually, I can be part of the global kind of thinking around economic systems change that would then, you know, that's very upstream and then very much downstream would ultimately impact my community in a positive way because some of these systems would kind of be dismantled. Um, so that's what my interest was. And I joined very much not having a, an experience in well-being economics and um yeah, obviously not an economist myself. So really coming from a very different history and background. Um, but during my interview phases, that was very welcomed. Um, I remember Amanda Janu just saying like, we need different voices. This is the whole point is that we want this holistic point of view and perspective of what an economy can and should be. It shouldn't just be um, certain types of people kind of this top-down approach dictating that this is the economy. Actually, we need the community leaders, we need um, the artists, we need um, all types of people to be able to share their perspectives and, and, and showcase what an economy would look like for them in order to thrive. And so I felt really kind of excited to bring a different voice into this movement um, but also still so keen to learn. And so my role as a network co-lead has actually been just so perfect because I really bring in and welcome every single member that is joining the Wellbeing Economy Alliance. And so every conversation I have or Zoom discussion, I am just so blown away and inspired by the stories of the organizations and the change making and the innovative kind of yeah, projects that people are involved in and all contributing towards a well-being economy. So it was a great kind of, it has been a great kind of learning experience for me, understanding what makes a well-being economy a very broad sense, but also really interesting to hear kind of the differences between geographic locations 
and also the similarities um hearing people's journeys towards thinking differently about the economy or realizing and feeling deeply within that something is not right and then hearing about you know we, we speak about the well-being economies as a picnic blanket so they might share about donut economics or post-growth or degrowth or um solidarity economies and something about those strategies or frameworks resonates and and they I really think that everyone that comes part of Wheel has this light bulb moment of like, oh, this makes sense and I have to get involved and I, I want to contribute. And so having had that my, you know, be my experience, it's been beautiful to see that um, through every single member's call that I get to be part of. And so, yeah, I, I've been... I really feel blessed to have this role and being able to connect different regions with one another is so, so important. I think we we can't think about economic systems change without the global interaction and understanding. But a very important thing is also to ensure that there's local engagement and regional engagement. And this is something that Wheel's going to be moving into a lot more in 2024 and beyond. But we've already started that. And my other colleague, the network co-lead, Anna, she is involved in the hubs. And that's really where we start to see the local expressions of well-being economies because <clears throat> it resonates at the cultural context and the politics of that area or region, the language of that area or region. And so, you know, in my community, for example, we're not speaking about well-being economy in that language or that term, but we're speaking about, you know, the values of Ubuntu, which is something that resonates in South Africa and and sharing and humanity and words that kind of, you know, and are understood by our people. But at the same time, the values I see are very much global. So the words and the way we express it might change at the local level, but at the global level, it's beautiful because we see that we have this common set of values and, and feelings, and this is what connects us. And it's always inspiring to, to be able to kind of have both that local global and global local and the learnings thereof. Um, I think it's, it's really important to hear like, you know, a lot of the indigenous wisdom sits in the local communities and and some of our global audiences haven't heard of these things. And so it's so important for us to share and learn from one another as well. Last week, the global team of We All met for your annual meeting, I take it, in Dublin. Yes. And, and you attended. I, I, you might just give uh, some inkling as to exactly what you were about and were there any key decisions that the team, the global team made or where do you see it going into the future? Sure. So it was such an amazing week. It's, yeah, 13 people from different parts of the world coming together and very much calculated on like, what's the least carbon emissions we can do, which area is most affordable for us to go and also where is stuff happening and obviously having the Irish the the wheel island hub active and doing so much it just made so much sense for us to go to Dublin and to Ireland and so we met there last week it's was an intense week I think because we don't get to see each other often as a global team working in different parts of the world 
Zoom is great and we're so grateful for that, but it's it's so different meeting in person and the connections and understanding, oh, this is how people think and how they process information and how they engage in a space. And so, you know, a lot of learning and for us to be able to interact with one another um, in person, it took time to kind of, you know, flow, I guess, in that way. But the spirit of we all being all about co-creation is really important. And so everyone kind of feeding into the process of this week, into the agenda of our week was beautiful. But co-creation also takes time. You know, it's easy for a big boss at a corporate to say, this is the way forward and that's that. (laughs) People just kind of fall in line and do, and it's much quicker. Um, For us, co-creation means back and forth and challenging and questioning and, you know, that critical thinking. Um, which takes time and it's actually like quite emotive as well. Like, you know, you need space to think and process and feel. And there were all the emotions being expressed last week. And I think especially because this work is so important for all of us. Like we feel it, you know, deep within our bones that we have to be part of this movement. And so, um, yeah, the expressions were coming from a very deep place. Um, And so it's hard to kind of wrap up that week in a few sentences, but I would just say that it was powerful um, us connecting as a team, but also connecting knowledge and sharing knowledge, understanding different cultural backgrounds um, and, and understanding how that then influences our work. And I think we reiterated last week that we want to be in service of this movement for economic systems change. And what does that look like? And, you know, as you grow as an organization, we are now at 460 organizations, hundreds of individual members, 19 hubs, you know, flourishing at the moment. And so how do we keep that heart of being in service of, meanwhile, still growing and and we wanting to grow in that sense of seeing this tipping point of, thousands of people wanting economic systems change. That's the only way we're going to see it is is through movement building, but at the same time, not growing that we lose sight of who we are and what we were, you know, started out to be. And so we wanted, we kind of were like, let's go back to (laughs) that in service of, Um, and then what does that look like? And we, we came to kind of not like, concrete decisions we're still needing time in January to process a lot of it but a consensus that we really want to um, ensure that our systems within our team are working well that it serves our movement so a digital platform will be launching next year at the beginning of next year um, that helps connect our members much better in terms of seeing their geographic locations, being able to engage in a better way. So we have our new engagement lead who's going to be facilitating that a lot. But all of us are all hands on deck to really ensure that our members feel they are connected and that they feel that they can engage. And yeah, another thing is this regional or local approach came up quite a lot. Um, How do we engage you know at at a global level which is important but we we're seeing 
the regional also being increasingly important and we don't have hubs in every single part of the world. So how do we still maintain that regional approach um, even without the hubs? And I think that really resonated because the work or the event, I guess, in Ireland just felt like <laughs> that was on the Friday. It felt like everything we had discussed in the week was kind of highlighted at the event on Friday and it made so much sense for us. It was kind of like a validation, like all, all this back and forth and deliberation. Um, well, you know, it, it felt right. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> sorry for interrupting, but maybe I should just explain what the, that event yes, was. Yes, please do. So, <laughs> so, um, so in, in ways, the we all, global team was the catalyst for the hub in Ireland, the we all Ireland hub uh actually uh, organizing an event, a special event, which we titled The Art of the Wellbeing Economy. And it was a call to action. It it was the culmination of a year's work. FASTA, um, who's hosting this podcast, uh, have a key role to play on the hub. So we were, to a certain extent, bringing together the work of, uh, of the hub over the past year. And calling artists and creatives to action to help us to integrate an artistic approach into defining what the well-being economy is for Ireland. So that was our, our event and you were the catalyst for that event. So I'd be very curious to know you you yourself attended it. So from your perspective, you know, how did you feel the event went and were there any surprises for you in, in how our Irish artists came together and participated in the event? Well, we were blown away. <laughs> it was just so, so special to see what is happening in Ireland. I think every team member was moved literally to tears. <laughs> we were quite emotional and just in awe of what was happening and the way that that event was curated from the moment we walked in, um, you know, busting the silos, I think was the first kind of activity and was just so profound because as a team, that's kind of what we were speaking about during the week is that we, we can't divide ourselves necessarily. I mean, for practicality, it helps, but you can't see members as separate to movements as separate to hubs as actually we all are one and should be working with one another more. And so just coming into the event on Friday and that being one of the activities, we all got stickers of like what we would label ourselves as. And then as soon as we got in, it was like, actually now find somebody with a different sticker to you and to be able to meet people and have conversations from the get go and um, people that I might not, ever have spoken to was so incredible and hearing their stories and how they've been part of the hub and what's motivated them was great and I've got connections now still I've, I've been messaging people from just that interaction because it was really really special so that was how it started and the day just like just increased in terms of amazingness um, so we had just the most beautiful, I've been saying to my family in the UK, I'm in the UK now before I go back to South Africa, that there's something about the Irish that you are natural storytellers. I think every single person that spoke was just incredible at like capturing the audience's attention and, and speaking authentically with heart and emotion 
but through story. And, and I think that's what struck me is like every speaker was just absolutely incredible. Um, so from you, Sean, to Caroline, oh, seeing Caroline in the flesh after, you know, seeing her so many times on Zoom was just special. But I think the art and the music, I got chills seeing the woman that was playing the harp. I forget her name now, but her performance. new Rian, for our listeners, was playing oh, the harp and, and singing. It was breathtaking. It was breathtaking. And that's when I realized I am in the right place. And and we, you know, through art and creativity, this is what we need to do more of. This cuts through any ego in the room. It cuts through any, you know, barriers of people feeling inadequate or um, feeling like they don't have enough knowledge. It just made everyone feel like I am meant to be here. And for me, I just, I just love that. And it was such a stark reminder for me to say, well, for all of us, I guess, as a wheel team, that we have to incorporate the arts and creativity into every aspect of our work. And Marina having a chance to speak as well at this event, um, she, her new role going into 2024 is really about doing that, is how do we really put this, yeah, understand that art and creativity is the, I think someone had a quote of, this is the nature of it. It's not just like an add-on to economic systems change. It has to be the 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 how um, and the who. And so love, love, loved the event last Friday. And I think the language is also something that was just, powerful um everyone's kind of expressions of the need for indigenous languages and you know mother tongue to be able to be expressed much more and you know the pain that english has caused and that kind of resonated with me as a south african because very similar discussions are happening in south africa is the pain and and the hurt of colonization is real, you know, as much as they are incredible. So it's not the English people <laughs> that we are just criticizing, but there is definitely pain that needs to be acknowledged. And so we've had African liberation dinners this year. Um, what does African liberation mean, feel like through music, through poetry, through storytelling? And what was beautiful to see is that the feelings that came from those African liberation dinners was definitely felt. Um, Anna Gomez, myself, were at both. And, and that was the first thing we said to each other is that this feels the same. This feels like a letting go and a, like a healing of, you know, the hurts of the past, but the ability to kind of feel free and be liberated and, and seeing and feeling what a new economic system can be. And that was just, yeah, incredible for, for all of us. So yeah, we loved it. It was just the most amazing event and so grateful that we could be part of it. Great. Well, look, on that very positive note, I think we'll finish up. Our, the listeners to the podcast will know that I usually use a few words of Irish in the podcast. So I need to finish because you uh, and it was a, a very clear message from that event that there's a strong movement to look at the importance of minority languages. So I'm going mm. to finish by uh, by saying Gurmila Mahagot uh, Tobile for your uh, for 
first of all for agreeing to do this halfway between a family visit to the between Ireland and the UK and South Africa <laughs> and uh, thank you very very much for doing it and and also may we wish you and your family all the best in for Christmas and for the new year thank you very very much indeed Thank you. Hambagate, as we say, Nisizulu. Go well. And yeah, really appreciate your time, Sean. Thanks. That was Tobile Chisenden, Network Co-Lead of the Wellbeing Economy Alliance, speaking with Shauna Conline. Many thanks once again to Tobile for her participation and to Leisha Kelly for her music on the harp. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the link on social media. And a happy new year to all. We'll see you in 2024.